0: slash give thanks for listening and God bless
1: Our first passage comes from Matthew chapter 4 verse 1 through 2 listen for what God is saying then the spirit led Jesus up unto the wilderness so that the devil may tempt him after Jesus had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights he was starving Our second reading comes from Isaiah chapter 58 verses 3 through 7. Listen again for what God is saying. Why do we fast and you do not, and you don't see? Why afflict ourselves and you don't notice? Yet on your fast day, you do whatever you want and, oppre- and oppress all your works. Your quarrel and your brawl are then your fast. You hit each other violently with your fist. You shouldn't fast as you are doing today. If you want to make your voice heard on high, is this the kind of fast I choose? A day of self. Affliction, of bending one's head like a reed, and of lying down lying, uh, lying down in mourning clothes and ashes. Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't this the fast I choose, releasing wicked restraints, untrying the ropes of a yoke, setting free the mistreated, and breaking every yoke? Isn't it sharing your bread with the hungry, and bringing the homeless poor into your house, Covering the naked when you see them, and not hiding from your own family. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding of the scripture.
0: Please join me in a word of prayer. God, we give you thanks for the gift that it is to come together and to feel each other's pain, and somehow in feeling each other's pain, tapping into your love in its truest sense. And so we ask that your your presence would continue to be here in this space, that the the transforming work of your spirit um, might be moving within us, helping us to be more honest with not only who we are, but who you are in our lives, so that we might live more fully into being those people and living those lives that you have created and called us to live. Speak through me in spite of me and help others to hear you. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So this week, uh, I ended up in a Facebook discussion with a friend acquaintance. Um, She had posted a series of questions on Ash Wednesday. Why am I giving something up only to go back to it on day 40.25? Why do I want greasy dirt on my forehead? Who started this Lent process? Isn't this a fast? Ain't fasting supposed to be a secret? And like Antonia, I did not come from a Christian tradition that recognized the season of Lent, so I tried t- talking her through some of the finer points of the tradition of giving something up or taking something on, and at the end of it all, she finally said, I just want clarity, especially after observing folks who give up something for Lent last year and remain the same cantankerous person they are, only to drop something else different this year. It's like a game, so I ponder. And yeah. Yeah. I totally see that. What's the point of a spiritual practice if, you don't, if what you do on the outside isn't making a speck of difference on the inside? Well, as it turns out, Antonia isn't the only person wondering about this disparity between practice and values. It's a pretty in- ancient concern. The author of Isaiah 58 is, in fact, calling out his people for the same kinds of shenanigans. But to be fair, these people thought that they were being obedient and going extra in it because, you see, they've been through some stuff. In order to help you understand, I'm going to have to drop some knowledge, so, you know, just open your mind. Um, The book of Isaiah, according to some scholars, is really thought to be more like three books um, and had at least three authors, uh, prophets, uh, but probably more, who ministered at different times during a stretch of circumstances um, in Israel's history. The first 38 chapters, give or take, were written by the O.G. Isaiah, who was constantly trying to tell the leaders of Israel to trust in God instead of making alliances with other uh, national leaders um, to preserve their safety. These people will play you, is what he's trying to tell them, but the rulers don't hear any of that. And so the next thing you know, at chapter 39, we're at 2nd Isaiah, who I like to call, we gonna be all right, Isaiah. Um, (laughs) Jerusalem, the sacred city, has been destroyed, There's been a brain drain of the highly educated, most accomplished crafters. The athletes with the best vertical jump have been snatched and taken to the capital city of Babylon, and there they have been employed to build up, beautify, and entertain the same people who have sought their destruction. This Isaiah is trying to tell his people to hang in there. He's reminding them that they have not been forgotten, and to hang on and know that, in spite of their circumstances, God is with them and for them. And then finally, we get to chapter 56, which begins third Isaiah, a.k.a. outcast Isaiah. And this Isaiah is telling his people who have been allowed to return to their homeland and rebuild their sacred city. He's telling them that just because they got back home and just because they've been through some stuff, it doesn't get them off the hook for doing the hard work of faith. And this Isaiah is calling his people to a higher standard of accountability than what they got used to as second-class citizens in Babylon. So he reminds that while them that while they might like to think that their stuff doesn't stink, right, they need to lean a little bit closer to see what their roses really smell like. Their identity is frayed, but they still are intact as a people. They had been told that the return was going to be glorious, but nothing is working out the way that they had envisioned and So they start doing what they were taught to do, to pray, to reach out to God, to do all the things and work the list, right? But here's the problem. The list isn't there to be worked, and God isn't in the list. The point of the practices aren't to make God do something like some kind of magical spell. The purpose is to align their hearts with God and to align themselves with God's intentions. And God's intentions, as I've said before, are always oriented toward wholeness of life for all, for all. So outcast Isaiah is calling them out and making them smell their good deeds for what they really are, hypocritical, shallow religiosity. Why do we fast and you don't see, these people are asking God? Why afflict ourselves and you still don't notice? Yet on your fast day, God is saying, or or Isaiah, outcast Isaiah is calling them out, yet on your fast day, you do whatever you want and oppress all your workers. You quarrel and brawl and then you fast. You hit each other violently with your fists and your words, I would say. You shouldn't fast as you're doing today if you want to make your voice heard by God. Isn't this the fast God chooses? Releasing wicked restraints, untying the ropes of a yoke, setting free the mistreated and breaking every yoke. Isn't it sharing your bread with the hungry and bringing the homeless poor into your house, covering the naked when you see them and not hiding from your family? In other words... The point of all your good religious work isn't just for you. It's for folk to get themselves lined up internally for external purposes. This got lost in communication somewhere along the general li- ge- generational lines of transmitting faith as they made their way through trauma. Personally, I don't blame these people for it, right? I mean, you lose some stuff when you go through some stuff. But outcast Isaiah is calling them to attention and saying, get right with yourself and with God. The fast I want you to choose is to leave your old way of being in relationships with people, people who have less than you, of trying to dominate each other and build your society on an economy fueled by oppression. That was Babylon's ways. That's not who we are. I want you to do better, to be better, and to live better. So yeah. Lent is not about giving up chocolate or beer or whatever for 40 days, at least not at face value, so don't feel bad if that's what you're doing necessarily. But it's not your Christian New Year's resolution time, okay? Lent is a spring cleaning for your soul. It's a time for a spiritual tune-up, an internal alignment for external purposes. And right along with that, it's an opportunity to train your spiritual self for when things get really tough. Today is the first day in our new new sermon series, Where the Wild Things Are. And as we move through these 40 days leading to Easter, we're setting aside time to not only realign our internal selves for God's external purposes, but also to follow the model set by Jesus. And that's why we have this extra reading from Matthew 4. We're going to kind of move through that reading very slowly alongside a paired scripture passage where after his baptism, we see Jesus willingly go into a wilderness and enter a time of extended fasting and to be tempted. We take, we'll take time to reflect more deeply about how entering wilderness spaces teach us about God's love. Strengthening our spirits for even more challenging times and reminding us that we are called to something greater than ourselves. For Jesus, these 40 days were a time of spiritual reinforcement, spiritual strength training, preparation, so that he could bear the weight of God's purposeful, powerful, peaceable calling on his life. His stomach was empty, but because of his fast, his heart and his spirit were full. In some ways, the wilderness today doesn't mean the same thing as it did back in the day. There was no REI where you could get your supplies No Google satellite maps or GPS alert system to carry you through. There was no Gore-Tex or Purell or even SPF. It was really dangerous and unpredictable, and most of humanity's history has been about controlling, beating back, or taming wilderness. So choosing to actually go in without anyone else and without food or supplies, it wasn't just a bad idea, it was a terrible idea. The minute that organized society could no longer be, be seen in his rearview mirror, Jesus was astonishingly vulnerable. And he did it on purpose. It would seem foolish unless you understand what he was trying to do because when you step into circumstances and situations that are unpredictable and uncomfortable, you find yourself stretched in ways that you couldn't anticipate and you will almost always leave stronger and more equipped for spiritual challenges than when you got started. So most of you know that um, a couple of years ago, I had this uh, bright, energetic, and fiercely food-passionate baby girl. And as I expected, the transition to motherhood was a boot camp of mind, body, and soul. And I was ready as anyone was or is, which means I wasn't very ready at all. (laughs) But I expected this to some extent. Um, What I didn't expect was that about three months after she was born, um, Rich shared with me that he was struggling with a deep depression. And if you were here in worship several months ago, you would have heard him um, share testimony about that. And when he shared this with me, um, the bottom of my heart fell out. Um, And not long after, I returned to ministry here at Urban Village, um, and I knew that many, many people, uh, people in this room, had carried this congregation lovingly um, and faithfully, and I knew that they were feeling tired, um, even as they continued to be supportive of this community and what God was doing here. And so I found myself pouring out, pouring out for this child that God had gifted me, pouring out for this community that I loved and that needed their pastor back. Um, And Rich, too, was pouring out as he moved through his own wilderness of self-honesty and healing. I felt inadequate and tired and heartbroken and alone. I knew I was stepping into the unknown when I opened myself to this chapter. Um, But I had no idea what it would demand from me. In this wilderness, I was incredibly vulnerable and was grateful for supportive colleagues and a therapist who were tender and compassionate. Um, They gave me space for tears to flow, um, to be honest with my fear and anger and my grief. Um, They let me be honest and walk at the pace that I could walk, which was sometimes very, very slow. I felt alone, I felt small, I felt weak, It was an act of faith to simply put one foot in front of the other and simply ask God for my daily bread. And while I was often hungry, I did get my daily bread. I was not the perfect pastor, I was not the perfect partner, or the perfect parent during that time. But I made it through. And I learned more deeply about things like grace and compassion and commitment, promises that we make to each other. I came out of the wilderness knowing that while I am wounded, I can also be a healer. And while I'm broken, I can still be a vessel. And while I'm not perfect, I am loved. God showed me that all I needed was to keep stepping out in faith. Stepping out in faith and that God would meet me. Would meet me there and use that those little bits of faith, <laughs> those steps forward as small as they may be, To offer the increase of courageous love and healing in this world. Have you ever had an experience like this? Have you gone through a time of wilderness and come out stronger? If you're willing, I'd like to give you a few minutes to think about this and then share it with a neighbor. Preferably someone you don't know well, but if you're not feeling ready for that, that's okay. So I'm going to give you about five minutes, five to seven minutes. We'll see how the time goes um, to share and to hear about a time of wilderness that you may have gone through. And there are some questions here, guiding questions. How are you confronted with your weakness? How are you strengthened? What did you learn about God? Don't feel obligated to answer all of them, um, whichever one or one's. Uh, are most um, right for you to share. I want to give you the time to do that. As you're ready, uh, begin to wrap up your conversations. We are all... um, going through, have gone through, will go through wildernesses. You're not the only one. You're not the only one, and you don't have to do it alone. Lent is a time for us to choose to follow in the way of Jesus and to actively choose to step into a time of spiritual alignment that can challenge us and equip us to go deeper and rise higher. And this community is one of the ways of getting equipped for that. It's a journey toward truth with a capital T, a journey that will probably be uncomfortable, but not sterile. It's a journey to be confronted with ourselves in all the good and difficult ways. And as we grapple with temptations and test our commitments to the values that we hold, Let us learn just how much we can endure, especially together. And perhaps even more so, let us find out just how closely Jesus journeys with us as we journey together through this wilderness. As I close in prayer, would you maybe grab a hand or touch a shoulder of the person next to you and let us pray. God, we thank you that we... As we enter into this time of liturgical calendar wilderness, um, to be equipped and to grow a little bit closer to our um, desire and in, in who we want to be as disciples and followers of you, help us to claim and name and speak out those times that we have made it through wilderness, to speak out those times that maybe we are those spaces where we are in wilderness right now. And to be reminded that we don't do this alone, that the hands that we hold and the hands that those hands are connected to make up a network of people and hearts and stories that have made it through wildernesses that share testimonies of strength in times of weakness, of presence in time of pain. And so help us to be reminded that we don't do this alone and that we're not the only ones who have ever done this, but that we get to be part of a great, fierce, courageous cloud of witnesses who are rooting for us right alongside you. We pray this in the name of your wild son and with the effort of your wild spirit. Amen.